My name's Robert Brunswick. Generally, people call me Bob. Welcome back to episode two about Deerfield and Robert Brunswick. In this episode, we discuss more about the people behind Deerfield and what has been in the works for it becoming a national historic site. We are now maybe a quarter of the way along to having Deerfield declared a national historic site. It's now under study. We had legislation that was signed by the president in December. Uh, that moved the process into the National Park Service, who is doing a feasibility study of, of Deerfield as becoming part of the National Park Service. When they finish that, they've just started that. That'll take a couple of years. If they come out and say, yes, we want this as part of the National Park Service, and they've already made some statements to the effect that they're, they're in favor of that, but they're not, that's, you know, that's not their final determination yet. Mm-hmm. When that determination takes place, they go back to Congress. Congress puts new legislation in to create this national historic site. And then that will probably take a year or two. So we're probably looking at maybe four or five years out altogether with all of the different things that need to happen. When that happens, Deerfield can become a national historic site. And there are only about 180 of them in the country. It will have some National Park Service funding. There will be a museum and a visitor center there. We are currently, we've been getting grants, I'd say like crazy, but we've had a lot of, we've had a bunch of grants in the, in the last 10 years in which we're restoring two of the buildings out there. And those will be the core of the National Historic Site. There will be other parts of the site that will be interpreted for the public that will come in and to do walking tours of, of the different buildings that are no longer standing in many cases, but when we're doing archaeology on, so we've been able mm-hmm. to interpret them. And, and that museum and visitor's center will demonstrate the architecture of the time, the historic architecture. The building, the two buildings will be restored. One is a a former filling station, and the other one used to be a a small hotel and then became the residence of the town founder when Deerfield kind of faded from the scene. It's called the Jackson House. Those are being restored to their 1920 condition. So people will be able to go in and walk through, you know, kind of almost a living museum. There'll be exhibits and things like that. There'll be education space. We already have school children coming out and we've been giving them tours for a number of years. There'll be scholars from other parts of the country that'll want to come in. And we have connections with a number of other historic black uh, settlements across the country too. So we're thinking maybe we'll tie all those together someday so that that tourists can take this this path, this byway, historic byway, to visit a lot of these sites and you know, in the West or in Midwest in the West. So it's it's kind of all coming together and UNC is part of that mix. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, uh, Dr. June and myself are UNC professors and we've been involved in that. Our archives department here, Jay Trask, who's the archivist, has been been part of this from almost the very beginning. We have one of the best collections of, of Deerfield photographs, original photographs and documents. We're now getting artifacts, physical artifacts, tools and, and all sorts of things that are being deposited in the museum here. Those will be used in part at the museum when it opens up. And UNC students have been involved doing archaeology. You know, doing, we're doing preservation work. We bring in 
probably 60 or 70 or 80 volunteers during the year uh, that come out and do either site cleanup or do some work on some of the buildings. They participate in the archaeology projects. We have an annual fall event that's been taking place since 2008, since, you know, a long time now, called Deerfield Day. And uh, we do that usually uh, in late September, early October. Mm-hmm. The last one we had had about 150 people show up. Oh, wow. So it's it's been very successful. And what is a Deerfield Day? Well, what we do? do is it's probably about a maybe four or five hour event. Mm-hmm. It usually starts uh, about mid-morning and then goes till mid-afternoon. We've had all sorts of things. We've had bands come out. We've had buffaloes. We had buffalo soldiers and their horses come out one time. Mm-hmm. We have tours of the site. We, we talk to people about what the plans are or things that we've done or are doing. And those, you know, it's just people to participate. Plus, we get a lot of the neighbors involved. So there are people that live around the site that uh, that have homes there that we're we're getting involved as much as we possibly can. And they're kind of the stewards uh, of the site because we're not we can't be out there all the time. This last year, we had a high school student mm-hmm. who his his he and his parents just live at the edge of the site. Mm-hmm. And he's been working with us. He did. He helped us with the archaeology and all sorts of things. And we've we've had some other family members out mm-hmm. there that live in that area have come out and done things. So that's been kind of cool. The geography department here has been involved. Dr. Dorner, who's now the dean <laughs> of uh, humanities and social sciences, is is an old research partner of mine, and he's been doing uh, drone photography at the site for it's been about five or six years now. So there's a lot of involvement. Our main academic, well, we have two main academic partners. One is the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, Mm -hmm. who have a black homesteaders program. And the head of that program recently retired, and he's in Denver, so he's on on this committee that oversees a lot of the work out there called the Deerfield Committee. And then Colorado State. Colorado State has been involved with Deerfield since the 1980s, off and on. Mm -hmm. And they've been, they did a lot of the early historic studies that, you know, the site in 1995 became a National Register of Historic Places district based on, on their research and uh, their historic work. And we've been partners with, you know, Colorado State, UNC has been partners with them for a very long time. Yeah. We're currently more affiliated with the uh, College of Agricultural Sciences, which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot uh, of sense. And we've been having since 2012 conferences every year. And these are open to the public, you mm-hmm. know, informal conferences. We have papers and panels and things like this on Deerfield. And this year it's at Colorado State. It's going to be in the, uh, the, the Nutrien Hall, which is the uh, brand new, just opened up College of Ar- Agricultural Sciences mm-hmm. building. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. And so we'll, have, we'll be having our conference in May, in May 20th there. But we're, we're kind of warping back a little bit on the Colorado State angle because fairly recently we found out that Colorado State Extension Services, Agricultural Extension Services, were mm-hmm. active in the town of Deerfield, in the colony of Deerfield, back in the 1920s. Well, what they were doing is they were helping the Deerfield farmers and giving them, you know, all kinds of professional advice, you know, uh, mm-hmm. about how to grow certain types of crops, how to care for their animals. The vet school 
well, there wasn't a vet school at that time, but they were doing veterinary science at what was a Colorado Co- Agricultural College. Mm-hmm. And so they were tied into Deerfield, too. And so we're kind of going back and, and, and uh, kind of reconnecting that connection with Deerfield of Colorado State. And what's, what's fascinating is we found out that the uh, College of Agricultural Sciences at CSU has an archival department. Mm-hmm. You don't think of colleges here having their own archival <laughs> department. And they've got records going back, you know, to the very beginning of oh. Ag Extension Services at CSU. That's amazing. So we've got those original records now to kind of bring into the into the mix. Yeah, that's got to help a lot. Yeah. And then we work with the Greeley Museums here. Uh, there we've got two Greeley Museums. We've got the the manager of the museums and the chief curator are part mm-hmm. of our Deerfield committee. We've got connections with a lot of other organizations in the state and outside the state. It's kind of grown into a bit of a monster in one <laughs> sense is that we have so many super talented people and organizations and students mm-hmm. and, and academic institutions engaged in this. And it's, it's a real challenge to be able to coordinate everything. And of course, the, the core of all of this is the Black American West Museum in Denver, which mm-hmm. owns the property. They were the ones that began to acquire the property back in the 1980s and 1990s and tried to preserve Deerfield at that point in time. And it's, you know, it's been a long road to be able to come to the point where we are today. A lot of that effort has been taken, taken by the Deerfield Committee, which is a, a citizens committee here in Greeley, mm-hmm. who are who advise the uh, the Black American West Museum, who owns the actual site, the town site. And we have a, a wonderful working relationship with the people at the museum, with the board. Some of our committee have been on the board from time to time and, and worked with them. And it's the Black American West Museum who will be part of a partnership with the National Park Service when it becomes a National Historic Site. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a hybrid thing where you have a private owner who is has a special partnership arrangement with the National Park Service, a federal agency. And our committee will probably change into some kind of an organization where we'll, we'll be sort of a guiding you know, board or, or group that will do a lot of the programming and, and, and fundraising and everything like this for it. So you get all these bitter, different pieces together. And then with UNC bringing students in, with students getting research opportunities and study opportunities, there are a lot of different pieces of this, a lot of facets that will really kind of make this amazing resource, which is mm-hmm. only a half hour from Greeley. You know, it brings into focus a lot of the diversity, not yeah. only, you know, the state, but the nation. And like the community at that time. Mm-hmm. The community at that time and the community at this time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we need lessons like that because we yeah. need to be reminded that, you know, we're people, we're, we're, we're sometimes repeating things that aren't so good mm-hmm. that were, that took place in the past, you know, very similar types of things. Yeah. And people need to understand that we all want a better life and we all want to live together. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of part of the lesson. And we've already had projects in the history department that have taken teachers and teachers are creating curriculum for this for schools yeah. in Colorado. And Deerfield is kind of part of that part of that lesson. Yeah, that's amazing. I like didn't know that there was so much like involved in it, but it's super interesting to hear about. 
yeah, it, it's it's incredibly involved. And one of my th- things that I've done all my life, I just kind of came out of a generation that uh, did what we call cultural landscapes, mm-hmm. which means that we look at the historic record or the archaeological record as not pieces of things. We don't just study a narrow area of focus. Uh, we don't study arrowheads, for instance, yeah. and we don't, we, we don't look at Native American cultures. Mm-hmm. We, we study everything as much as we can that are the whole picture. And that's how we're, we're approaching Deerfield. It's different disciplines and, and different experts and different sources of information all being brought together in a systematic way to better understand the past and better use that past to teach us about our lives in the present and the future. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I didn't know that CSU was involved or anything like that. I think that's crazy. But also, like, yeah. That's awesome. It makes sense. They, I mean, they were founded as an agricultural sort of school. So. Yeah, and it, and it all fits. The, the founder of Deerfield wrote a couple of things. I mean, he, he left a lot of writing behind. And one of the things he wrote is he had he had these incredible aspirations that were not possible in in most cases. Yeah. But he wanted a branch of uh, he wanted an ag- a small agricultural co- college out there mm-hmm. at Deerfield. You know he he wanted these industrial plants and things like this. They're just all kinds of stories, not just personal stories. There are a ton of personal stories yeah. because. People who came to Deerfield didn't just come from Colorado. They just mm-hmm. didn't come from Five Points in Denver, but they came from all over the country. They came from the Caribbean. They came from uh, they came from Mexico. They came from the East Coast, all over the place. There, yeah. I think, there were almost thirty states that were represented, mm-hmm. and people were looking for opportunities. You know, having come out of the Civil War and the Jim Crow South, and there were a lot of movements over the previous 30-plus years, 40-plus years before Deerfield, of people coming to Colorado and other and, and moving north or moving west. Mm-hmm. And it's that, we, we used to call it a diaspora, you know, the, the mi- out-migration mm-hmm. from uh, certain parts of the south into the north, looking for better lives. Mm-hmm. And Deerfield was a very late piece of that, but a very important piece. There were a lot of very prominent people involved with uh, Deerfield after O.T. Jackson began to put it together and began to try to recruit people out there. There were, there were physicians, there were lawyers, there were prominent people nationally that you know, were involved with Deerfield. One of the things that we've been doing is looking at black newspapers all over the country. And you'd be surprised how often, you know, there were you know, just little articles about, yeah. you know, the success at Deerfield and, you know, what they were trying to do and things like this. So it was a phenomenon that was national in terms of the African-American community of the day. Yeah, I think it's a really important lesson, mm-hmm. especially seeing all that's happening just in general. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think you answered all my questions. Did, did we kind of weave our way through <laughs> all of that? I think it's really good. Like I was like saying, they're like, oh, that one's checked off and that, that really helps me. <laughs> Awesome. So I guess I have one last question for you. Sure. And it is, if you had a podcast, what would you do it on? If I had a podcast, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> this is something that you might want to think about. Okay. Okay. So we've covered a lot of topics in the Deerfield Conference over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done presentations about certain aspects of the history. This year, we're, we're beginning to go more towards themes. And this year, what we're doing is celebrating women Mm -hmm. and families in Deerfield. 
And part of that is part of that is genealogical because mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're looking at, you know, how families were put together and where people came from and what their background was. And if I if I did a podcast, what I would do is begin to th- focus in on the individual stories of the people and and particularly the females. The reason I I would focus on the females a lot is that this is a a western expansion phenomenon historically is that in very, very many cases when people became out and homesteaded, mm-hmm. um, they, they, they created farms in, th- in remote areas in the West, is that the women were often, at least part of the year, left holding down the farms and the, and the ranches. And the men, in many cases, had to go off and work somewhere. They had to work on the railroads, or mm-hmm. they had to work in town, or they had to do something to raise some cash. Because, you know, farming and ranching wasn't necessarily going to give you a living every single year. Yeah, it's very up and down. And, and so it was, it, it was the mothers and the wives. They were the glue that held these families and communities together. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we're doing this year at the conference in a small way. But I would focus podcast on those stories because I think they're pretty important. And the yeah. fact is that uh, th- this was this was over a hundred years ago, and I don't know that women were recognized most of the time. Yeah. For how incredibly important they were for the survival of those communities. Then you want to look at all of the individual people that were there because I mean, the overall story is such a great story, mm-hmm. but it was the people that made the story as well. Yeah. So. so I'd drill down on the people. I would love to hear more untold stories about the people who lived in Deerfield. And the history podcast dedicated to those stories would not only show the community of the time, but also how significant Deerfield was to the residents. Thank you for listening to Robert Brunswick talk more about the history of Deerfield and the process of studying it and making it a national historic site. I'm your host, Isabella Marcus-Porter, giving you a taste of UNC.